It's your fault. Quit it. Don't tell me what to do. <laughs> what do we want to do for this intro? <laughs> blank <laughs> stares. That's, just that's blank why just, stares all that's, around. That's why we just gotta let it go. Yeah. <laughs> I did the intro. I introduced us last time. But you're so beautiful in introing. <laughs> Welcome to this episode of History Told by Idiots. Ah, there it is. <laughs> so, what have we got for the people tonight? Well, it's a viewer request show. Yeah, uh, so I guess that we should give a shout out to the viewer that requested this. We don't have viewers, we have listeners. <laughs> For one thing, I guess. <laughs> Let me watch this podcast. Go and watch this podcast. Actually, I would like one time for us to review to film a podcast. Yeah, I, mean, I can do that. I That'd I be awesome. Camera and everything. Yeah. So uh, shout out to you, Trey Wilson. You're awesome. Not only did he suggest this, like he sent me some extremely helpful articles that I got some uh, research from. So kudos to you. That's what I was about to say. Even though Trey Wilson did. Uh, uh, follow. I'm sorry, I'm tired. <laughs> <laughs> Request this episode. Trey probably knows more about it than us. So. He really, he really probably does. So Just stick with the theme: history told by idiots, and go. Yeah, <laughs> Trey's a smart kid. So yeah. shout out to you, Trey. So uh, he requested that we talk about the history of animation and the. Chaos, that was the two major players. Mm -hmm. Disney and Warner Brothers. Yeah. Uh, We're going to talk about some other stuff, too. Yeah, we'll talk about some other stuff, but obviously we can't talk about everything about Warner Brothers and Disney. I know very little on the matter. (laughs) Yeah, because they're two huge corporations and spanning a century. I I don't think that any of us... uh, understood what an undertaking this was going to be when we started researching Mm -hmm. this because we could do just an episode devoted to each Each of of these companies but um we're gonna try our best to kind of condense it down we're gonna hit miss and i and i think really what trey was wanting us to discuss was and what we found the most interesting was the when it coming to animation um what the difference was between disney and warner yeah um I guess if that's what how you want to how you, how you want to put it. But we need to go back further than that, further yeah. than just Disney and Warner Brothers. I mean, they were pioneers in the field, but there were people that came before them. Yeah. So I think we're going to start off with uh with you, Tyrell. Okay. Okay. Or I mean, we can start off right with what I've got a little bit. What I've got, um, just like a timeline of events, and this is the history of animation. Just a little bit of history animation, just a little bit of an overview, uh, and then Ty, you can go if you want to. Uh, it all started in 1887 with a gentleman by H.W. Goodwin, and he invented the first celluloid, celluloid, is that how you say that? Celluloid. Celluloid, celluloid yeah. Which could hold images. It was made out of gum, gum cotton, and gum camphor. Hmm. Uh, that was in 1887. It continued on. Through the decades, it's 1893 where Thomas Edison invented the first kinetoscope, 
which using the celluloid film developed by H.W. Goodwin, Edison was able to produce moving films. Uh, then 1899, sound is captured uh, using a magnetic recording device. In 1900, a man named James Stewart Blankton used animation techniques to produce a short film. In 1914, Greta the Dinosaur was the was short animation film which became popular very quickly, was the first to become very quickly popular quickly. And it was re- uh, created by Winsor McKay. Then in 1920, Felix the Cat was created. Oh, Felix. And I didn't know the extent of that. Um, there's obviously a big scandals or big controversy between the two creators of it, but Otto Mesmer is credited for that. Uh, 1922, Laughograms, which was invented by Walt Disney. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then that, shortly thereafter, in 1928, Steamboat Willie was created. Yeah. Mickey uh, Mouse. Mickey Mouse. Uh, and it was, and using sound for the first time. It was an instant hit. Uh, 1930, Warner Brothers Studio was born. And then with that come Looney Tunes. It's uh, my favorite. Yep. <laughs> uh, Looney Tunes was supposed to be a spinoff of the Silly Semiphones produced by Disney. Symphony, Silly Symphonies. Silly Symphonies. Yeah, Sorry. Silly yeah. Symphonies. Yeah. Yep. It and I soon, forgot about those. It soon took on a life of its own and become very popular. And then throughout the years, uh, Betty Boo, Popeye the Sailor, Daffy Duck was added. Uh, the first full-length film in 1937 was what? Snow White. Mm-hmm. And the Seven Dwarfs. Mm-hmm. And then 1940, icon- uh, more iconic characters began to grow. Woody Woodpecker, Mighty Mouse, and Tom and Jerry. Uh, 1972, at the University of Utah, the first computer-generated movie. Uh, was created by Ed Catmull. Um, and then 1993, 3D Arts and Beyond was created by Apple Computer with the release of what famous film? Toy Story? Yep. Toy Story. Toy yeah. Story. So that's just a little brief overview for going to, uh, from 1887 all the way up until 1993. And then the rest is history. <laughs> Huh. Yep. Uh, the rest is the rest we've, is we've lived through. So, so Ty, if you want to start us off with whatever you have, sure. I'm going to talk a little bit about um, Max Flasher. I don't know how they actually pronounce it here. I'm going with the German pronunciation. <laughs> he was Polish, wasn't he? So. Yeah, they, it's it's pronounced pretty well the same. Uh, so Max Flasher uh, is a Polish-American animator. Uh, he was also a inventor and director. He served as the head of Flosher Studios with his brother, Dane. Um, he's the inventor of what's credited as one of the first big cartoons, Coco the Clown. Um, Betty Boop, uh, Papa, and he brought Superman to the movie screen. Hmm. He also invented the... Uh, the rotoscope, which was an uh, innovation to bring in cartoons to theaters. I actually had one of these when I was a kid. They're, was it one of those? His one of the... Spinny things. Yeah. yeah. See, uh, started the Betty Boop series in 1932. Popeye was introduced in 1933. And by the late 30s, he was as popular as Mickey Mouse. Mm-hmm. Probably not <clears throat> now, because... You probably ask kid. Uh, probably ask a kid now who Popeye is. They probably yeah. don't know. <laughs> Paramount Pictures acquired uh, Flasher stu- oh, uh, Studios. Acquired studios. Oh, okay. They did. Yep. 
So everything that Paramount pretty much does animation-wise can be credited back to Mm -hmm. Flasher. Oh, okay. The animation style impacted a recent game that that was very big, uh, Cuphead. It was... Let me talk about Cuphead for just a second. (laughs) (laughs) Because I played Cuphead. Tangent alert. I played it for probably a total of 45 minutes and probably didn't get a quarter of the way through the game. Yeah, but it's beautiful. It's it's like the animation is Oh, yeah, the awesome. animation's amazing. It's so difficult. It's so hard. <laughs> the, only, the only reason why I buy an Xbox. I want to play it so bad. That animation style is really popular, though, not with just uh, Cuphead, but, mm-hmm. I mean... You see it all the time, and mm-hmm. yeah, like I'm trying to think. There was a there was an anime that I watched recently that actually used that style of animation in it for one of the scenes. Hmm. Like if you, you, see, you see, if you don't know what kind of animation style we're talking about, just go look this dude up, and yeah. you will you'll recognize it. Mm-hmm. Because it's used in a lot of stuff, so. Yeah, it was, it, it was the it was the early cartoons. I mean, it was the early, mm-hmm. you know. You see it a lot in like. I know one reference to it that I see a lot in cartoons and everything is like, if uh, if a character is to take like some kind of hallucinogenic substance of any kind, that uh, sometimes they'll pop over to that style of animation. Yeah, it's very amusing. It is very amusing. It is very amusing. Because so, you talked about Popeye, so fun fact. So, the first cartoon character ever to appear on a stamp was who? Can you guess? Papa? No. (laughs) (laughs) No, it was was Bugs Bunny. But the first cartoon character to ever have a statue erected in his honor was Was Papa. Papa. Was Papa. I knew that. (laughs) I was baited. I think I have the the anniversary of the Bugs Bunny stamp somewhere. In my earlier stamp collecting days. Somewhere. Back at the homestead. So credit Max Fletcher, Fletcher, right? Yeah. Fletcher for Fletcher. <laughs> I don't Fletcher, know. Fletcher for being like Frankenstein, <laughs> <laughs> being, being the father of uh, animation. I guess is what you could say. Early. He animation. was an early pioneer. For early sure. pioneer. For sure. I mean, they couldn't have started showing any cartoons in movie theaters. I mean, okay, so they showed cartoons in movie theaters. But, like, the way that they had to do it, it made everything that came through, like, really jerky and unconnected and stuff. So, he invented this rotoscope, and it's what made cartoons really gain popularity in the movie theaters. So, what he did directly impacted everybody. Not just his company, but Disney and Warner Brothers and everybody. That's cool. I took on the task of trying to talk to you about Warner Brothers, and man, that's a task. But I can tell you that Warner Brothers Studio was founded on April 4th, 1923, uh, by brothers Harry Warner, Albert Warner, Sam Warner, and Jack L. Warner. It's like uh, a family affair. It was a family affair. They were the pioneers of... Actually, let me start this off. Do you know what really put Warner Brothers on the map? Anybody? No. Anybody? 
Okay. Uh, were you familiar with a little uh, canine called Rantantan? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Uh, Tan was really, uh, he, he, debuted, he debuted in a movie called Where the North Begins in 1919. What's no? 1919 was one of the first Broadway plays called Gold Diggers. Uh, Rantantan brought, uh, it was brought from France after World War I by an American soldier sta- uh, establishing their reputation. Rantantan debuted in the, the Where the North Begins. The movie was so successful that Jack Warner signed the dog to star in more films for $1,000 a week. Oh. Oh, well. This hmm. was a 1919. That's a lot of money. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Jack Warner nicknamed Grant Tintin the mortgage lifter. The mortgage lifter. Because yep. he was so <laughs> successful. Uh, and it just keep, it just keeps on keeps on going. Um, in 1925 to 1935, uh, Warner Brothers was the pioneer of films with synchronized sound then known as talking pictures or talkies. Mm-hmm. In 1925, at Sam's urging, Warner Brothers, Warners, the Warners, agreed to add this feature to their production. And by February 1926, the, it, it proved to be a loss for Warner Brothers, and they net, netted a loss of $330,413 in 1926. Wow. Oh, wow. Yep. That's surprising. Yeah. Um, They signed a contract with Western Electric and established Vitaphone. And the Vitaphone began making films with music and effects tracks, most notably in the feature film Don Juan, starring John Barrymore. And it hit theaters in Manhattan and uh, New York City. Uh, 1926 was the date of that. Isn't that Drew Barrymore's grandfather? Mm-hmm. I think, yeah, it's in that. In yeah. That, it's in that. Uh, in 1927, there was the Big Five Studios, First National, Paramount, MGM, and Universal, and Producers Distributing, which was Warner Brothers at that time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then they started producing the Vitaphone, kind of fizzled out, and they went to, uh, as a result of their financial problems, Warner Brothers took the next step and released The Jazz Singer, starring Al Jolson. This movie, which has very little sound dialogue, si- sound dialogue, but includes sound segments of Jolson singing. Uh, it was the end of the uh, silent era uh, for movies. What are you doing? I forgot to lock my car. Uh, <laughs> better safe than sorry. Yeah, even though I'm parked in a church parking lot. <laughs> <laughs> you never know, though. I don't trust people. You shouldn't. Uh, in 1928, Warner Brothers released Lots of New York, the first all-talking feature. Due to the success, the movie industry converted entirely to sound almost overnight. Oh, mm-hmm. so they were like vindicated. <coughs> yep. We yeah. told you that it was gonna that it was gonna work. Mm-hmm. By the end of 1929, all major studios were exclusively making sound films. In 1929, First National Pictures released their first film with Warner Brothers called Noah's Ark. And then it goes on and on and on and on. Warner Brothers was the first to do the uh, gangster films, which uh, this is very popular during those times. Yeah, and this is when James Cagney became really popular, uh, mm-hmm. thanks to Warner Brothers. Uh, Warner Brothers was also 
the start of horror films, uh, which uh, which was the first films in Technicolor produced by Warner Brothers. Uh, they had a contract with Technicolor to produce two more pictures in that process. As a result, the first horror films in color were produced and released by studio by the studio. Doctor X, 1932, and Mystery of the Wax Museum, 1933. If nobody's ever watched uh, Mystery of the Wax Museum, I highly recommend it. I love that movie. I've never seen that. <laughs> oh, I love those old air horror They're films. They're great. They're amazing. And then, like I said, uh, gangster films was popular. Uh, in 1933, Warner was able to link up with a newspaper tycoon, William Randolph Hearst. Uh, his cosmopolitan films. Uh, from 1930 to 1933, Disney alumni Hugh Harmon and R- Rudolph Ising produced musical cartoons for Leon Schislinger, who sold them to Warner. Harmon and Schislinger, Isling, sorry, introduced their character Bosco in the first Looney Tunes cartoon, Sinking in the Bathtub, and created sister series Merry Melodies in 1931. And that's what started the feud between Disney and Warner Brothers. We can come back to that in a little while, though. Yes. Uh, because Warner was able to secure Fritz Freeling, Tex Avery, Frank uh, Taslin, and Bob Clampett, Chuck Jones, and Bob McKimson. If you don't know who them are, they're the, probably the biggest names in animation history. Bugs Bunny, Elmer Fudd, the mm-hmm. voices of all those. Tex Avery is a... He was a national treasure. Yeah. In 1935, <laughs> Avery directed Porky Pig cartoons. Mm-hmm. Uh, in addition to Porky, Daffy, uh, Elmer, Bugs, uh, first starred in A Wild Hair in 1940, and Tweety in A Tale of Two Kitties in 1942. The Warner Brothers Company continued to grow, and it continued to decline throughout the years and grow and decline. Uh... In 1942, they had Yankee Doodle Dandy, which was uh, part of the War Era Studios. Um, This is where Casablanca come in. Um, So, you know, some of them are, those two were probably the, well, Casablanca probably is the most famous movie of all time. One of the the highest top rated movies of all time. uh, Produced by Warner Brothers. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then... The company actually changed changed hands a couple of times. Uh, it was even involved in an antitrust lawsuit in, in the early 40s. And uh, and then the company started to decline once again. But thanks to, uh, this was like in the 70s or, and, and so forth. But to thanks to um, hiring such actors as John Wayne, not John Wayne, but uh, Clint Eastwood and uh, Robert Redford and uh, Barbara Streisand and Paul Newman uh, helped Warner Brothers get through the 70s and 80s. And then, of course, this is when um, Warner Brothers started doing uh, acquired DC comics. And so this is when Superman and Batman and Warner Woman all started to become, come into play. Uh, they also... Uh, throughout the 70s and 80s, Warner Communication uh, branched out to other businesses such as video game companies, uh, such as video game company Atari Incorporated in 1976 and later the Six Flags theme parks. 
So in the 70s, they started working with Atari, and this is when Six Flags become to, or what was then known as Six Flags. That's why you also had E.T. on the Atari. This is why you had E.T. on Atari. The sacred lost E.T. cartridges yeah. that they found buried in yeah. the desert. <laughs> uh, That's an interesting story. I love that story. Yep. I didn't know that, I mean, that makes sense, though, that they were the ones that did Six Flags because... A lot of their stuff yeah, was Looney Tune related, yeah, right. and then you had like that Batman ride that was yeah. the pe- the Penguin River or yeah, whatever. Or yeah, like the only thing that I would ride at Six Flags. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so yeah, Bugs Bunny was the big uh, big of that. Mostly, I just sat and held everybody's stuff while they rode all the rides. But you know, <laughs> then Warner Brothers ventured out uh, in the early in '95 in the mid '90s uh, to Warner Brother Television Network. And this is when you get Buffy and Smallville, Dawson's Creek, One Tree Hill, uh, Seventh Heaven, Charmed. So, and then in the 90s, uh, they obtained the rights to the Harry Potter novels. Woo! And released feature <laughs> film adaptations of the first in 2001. And then, uh, this is when uh, Christopher Nolan started writing the Dark Knight series. So... Two of which are really good. Two of which are really good. <laughs> the other, not so much. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, according to this article, the IMAX was almost the uh, death of Warner Brothers because they'd sunk so much money into The Dark Knight and bad accounting in Hollywood net a huge loss uh for some of the Harry Potter movies. Even though they were some of the highest grossing films of all time, but they also produced a net loss because of Hollywood accounting and the IMAX Corporation. Oh wow. Uh wanting so much. Um but yeah, that uh that leads Warner Brothers into into the current current situation. And didn't you say that Deathly Hallows, Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows was like one of the top grossing films of uh, all time? In America as of 2000, let's see. In America, The Dark Knight is its highest grossing film, followed by The Dark Knight Rises and then Wonder Woman, Harry Potter and the Deathly Hollows Part 2 was number four. But hmm. worldwide, Harry Potter and the Deathly Hollows uh, Part 2 is the high, was, it, was its highest grossing film. Because Potterheads are awesome. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Scoring over one billion three hundred and forty one million five hundred and eleven thousand two hundred and nineteen dollars. As it should have. So and I'm amazed that I got through that big number. Some of those dollars <laughs> some of those dollars were mine. Uh, actually well yeah. Yeah. The the thing is though, is that those numbers are grossly overshadowed by Disney's properties. Well, yeah, but the, <laughs> but to have Disney was over time. This was one go. <laughs> yeah. It took 10 years for Disney well, no. to. Like, yeah. as of now, Disney well, is all one go. As of now. Like, but... a good majority of the top grossing movies now, like uh, the top 10 grossing movies. What are the top 10 grossing movies of all time? A good majority of them are the new Marvel movies. Now, uh, the Infinity War. Yeah, Infinity War is number one now. One of them is Avatar. Which Disney owns, right? No, no. That would be. Mm, there's an avatar. There's Avatar World in Disneyland, isn't there? 
I guess. Uh, I don't know. Pretty sure. I thought that was Universal. I don't think so. I think it's Disney. Huh. I think they, whatever, it's probably like they're, um, what am I trying to say? Disney's the parent company of Maybe. whoever it was that produced it. Uh, number one is definitely Black Panther, which obviously is Disney. Marvel. Is that worldwide or that domestic? That is 2018 domestic gross. Hmm. Uh, Avengers Infinity Wars number two, A Quiet Place. I don't know. What the flip Really? Like. Yeah. I don't know what that is. Uh, and Ready Player One, as it should be, is number four. Are you four. looking at all time or 2018? 2018. Oh, okay. That's why. 2018. That's why. Did you watch Ready Player One? I've not watched oh, it yet. It's I so really want to. Good. Oh, so good. <laughs> Which I've not read. Everybody the, I've not read the book. So. I read the book, and like a lot of the people that I talk to that have read the book and then watched the movie, they were a little bit disappointed because most of the references that are in the book are from like the eighties. Yeah. So was half the movie. Huh? So was half the well, movie. Well, they uh, they told me that you know most of the references made in the movie are like from the nineties. Well, that's kind of a mixture well, of both. Some isn't it? Yeah. Well, it's the main character is obsessed really. with the 80s. I mean, like the car that he drives yeah, is the glory. It's, it's oh, 80s. Okay. Yeah. It's pretty 80s. <laughs> you should watch it. It's fabulous. Gone, Gone with the Wind is number one grossest movie of all time, sir. Never seen it. Is it really? Yeah. Never oh. seen it or read it. I don't know when this... Uh, That's a lie for inflation. May, yeah. May 3rd of 2018 yeah. is when this article was wrote. Yeah. Star Wars, 1977. Yeah, man. With The Sound of Music. E.T. Yeah. The Ten Commandments. Never seen that either. Dr. Zhivago. The <laughs> Exorcist. Ooh. Ooh. And Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. <laughs> so, that's my little piece. Tessa, what do you got? Are you're, you're I have a more, big piece. You're talking more of the Disney side, aren't you? Oh, I'm going to talk about all things Disney. But, um, like you said, it's pretty much impossible to talk about everything because it's Disney is just so... Huge. There's so many mm-hmm. aspects of this that there is, there's no way that I could go through everything. But like, I'm going to give you kind of the um, rags to riches sort of story. I thought it was fascinating how quickly they grew. So that's kind of what I focused on mostly. So yeah, that's where I'm going to go with this. So Disney started their company in 1923. And they actually ran their office out of the back of a realty office in L.A. Mm-hmm. So that's where they got their start. Pretty much nowhere. They they paid $10 a month to rent this little space in the back of a realty office. And uh, this was Walt and Roy Disney Brothers. And uh, they ended up producing a series of short films called the Alice Comedies, which were kind of based on Alice in Wonderland. Or I guess they were. Pretty yeah, much. They, they, they pretty much Alice were in Alice in Wonderland. So they did these Alice comedies and they found some success with it, so much so that they realized they needed a bigger space. So within four months after they released these Alice comedies, they had to move to a bigger space. So they rented the place next door and they put a sign up on the door that said Disney Brothers Studios. And that's really kind of where they got their start. So, like, this was 23. By the time 1925 rolled around, the Disney brothers had to move again to a bigger studio. And this time, they just decided to build it from the ground up themselves. So, they built this studio in the Silver Lake District of L.A. 
And it was there that Mickey Mouse was born in 1928 with Steamboat Willie. And soon after that, he was followed by Pluto and Donald and Goofy and, you know, pretty much everybody that we know and love. But Mickey came around in 28. So, jump forward to 37, 1937. You already said this, but... Um, Disney's the, first... The stories kind of overlap with each other. They do, but they should. Yeah. They, they kind of should, you know. So, Disney's first full-length animated feature was Snow White. And it had massive worldwide success, obviously, since you just said, too, that it was in that list of top-grossing movies of all time, right? Uh-huh. So, worldwide success. It was It was like crazy success. So, after they released this movie, they had to expand again. So they took the profits that they made from Snow White and they bought 51 acres of land in Burbank. And so Walt and Roy were involved in all aspects of building this studio. It was kind of their their baby, their brainchild. All the way down to what the animators' chairs were like. They had a hand in literally every aspect of this studio, Mm -hmm. picking out everything. And it ended up being more like a big, like a compound or a campus or something than just a studio. Because in in the center, you had the animation building. And then they built the inking and painting buildings around that. And then the, the cutting building and the sound building... So they built all of these all of these buildings, and they were all connected by underground tunnels, which I thought was cool. Hmm. And um, even the utilities were buried underground, and that that was crazy. Hmm. This was nineteen. This was like nineteen forty. Because because even like now today, if you watch like specials on Walt Disneyland and stuff, everything's underground. Yeah, yeah. Like even the utilities and all that stuff's underground. Yeah, he wanted it to feel more like a campus yeah. than than you know like a business. So. Yeah. They buried all the utilities underground. 1940, that was that was pretty advanced. Yeah, yeah. it was kind of crazy. So, if you skip ahead a little bit more, you've got the 1940s and 50s. And in that time, you saw the release. They, they had the release of Fantasia, Bambi, Cinderella, Alice in Wonderland, and Peter Pan. And I've still never seen Fantasia. It makes me feel bad Fantasia. that I've never it's, seen it. It's like my favorite, yeah, one a, of my favorite animated movies. Never seen it. I've never seen it. And you are a music nut. And I like know. Orchestrated music nut. And it's. I know. I've I've never seen it though. I I need to fix that. I mean, like I've played Kingdom Hearts. So. Doesn't count. <laughs> <laughs> well, you do fight the demon. Yeah. I mean, you so. do, but. <laughs> uh, so in the late forties, Disney kind of started expanding more so and they started doing live action films um because of that they had to expand their studio even more so in in the 50s they erected some sound sound stages so and it ended up that they had a lot of success with their live action stuff too so stage 1 went in in 1940 and Fantasia, the live-action parts of Fantasia, were filmed on Stage 1, Disney Stage 1. Stage 2 went in in 1949. Uh, Some notable things filmed on Stage 2 are TV's Dragnet and the Mickey Mouse Club. Hmm. And Stage 2 is one of the largest in L.A. even now at 31,000 square feet. 
Wow. That's pretty big. Yeah. Very big. Stage three was built uh, specifically f- to film 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. And huh. it had a, had a water tank inside of it. Huh. So they built it specifically for that movie. And then stage four came along in 1958. And they eventually separated it into two separate stages in 1988. So that's stages four and five. So you can already see kind of um, the growth that they had in that short amount of time. So on these stages, notable things filmed include Davy Crockett, Mary Poppins, which I love, Pollyanna, The Love Bug, Pete's Dragon, Bedknobs and Broomsticks, and also things like the movie Armageddon, Home Improvement, the TV show, uh, The Ellen Show, MTV uses those sound stages for a lot of stuff. Madonna did a video on uh, in <laughs> Disney sound stages. Uh, the movie National Treasure, Pirates of the Caribbean one, two, and three, which makes sense because Disney well, owns that's those. A Disney property. But, yeah, yeah that's very much Disney. <laughs> but still. The, so, o- the only movies that were just based off of a ride. I yeah. don't know. <laughs> and like one of but the they, most successful yeah, movies. You know, they, they did. That was a smart move on Disney's part, for sure. So, this massive compound out of literally nothing, like they started in a, in a shared space with a realty company, and now they've got all these buildings. So. There was an empty lot across the street from these studios, and Walt Disney decided that he wanted to put a Mickey Mouse-themed park, just like a, you know, a park there, and that there were going to be life-size statues of Mickey and Donald and Goofy, and the kids could come and take their pictures with them and Mm -hmm. everything, and there'd also be like a little train ride that you could ride around the park. So, that's how this started, but then his idea grew And it kept growing until finally he decided that there was not enough space across the road from the studio. So he ended up purchasing 200 acres of of orange groves in Anaheim. And that's where Disneyland came from. And it opened in 1955. So that was like also like his, his baby, his big project. So, and it kind of blew my mind to know that like shops specifically were put in just to cater to Disney Corporation and the parks. And, like, if they they had their own electric and plumbing store and their own sign graphics store and there was a special effects shop that they specifically built parts for the rods. Mm-hmm. And all of this is... They had their own mill, even. Mm-hmm. And this was all housed... On site of this, you know, where these studios and stuff were. Like the first Disneyland, I think I remember watching something on History Channel about it and stuff. Like it wasn't even like it was just like shops, wasn't it? Like in a, co- a couple of rides, maybe like the like the teacup ride or the trains or something like that. But like like Cinderella's Castle hadn't been built and stuff like that. I mean, it was just like a shopping center more or less, wasn't it? Wasn't it? I don't know. I, I didn't really research because I, I remember what looking at something something on History Channel about it or you know because I think Cinderella's Castle come much lighter uh, what we now know well is, yeah because that's in I don't I don't know I don't is know. there Cinderella's Castle in both Disney World and Disneyland that, I'm uh, assuming that there probably, I'm is. I don't probably is I've not been there I've never been to either of <laughs> I've them never so been, yeah I've never been to either of them I watched on GMM though one day Good Mythical Morning and they were talking about how 
uh, in Disneyland, all of the trash cans are spaced strategically so that Walt Disney would, like, stroll and eat a hot dog. And then mm-hmm. he wanted that to, there, that space to be enough that he could eat the hot dog, finish it, yeah. and throw his wrapper like away, which I a, thought was cool. <laughs> it was, like, based on his walking patterns or something yeah. like that. Mm-hmm. Like, all the trash cans are spaced as how long it took Walt Disney to eat and... Another fun fact is that a lot of parks and zoos that are built now base that length off of Disneyland. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So they also um so they they decided to put in some outdoor sets, filming sets too. And they built like whole towns and stuff for these outdoor sets. Um their backlot sets they called them. Uh, they filmed movies here like The Apple Dumpling Gang, which I have always loved. Uh, the Love Bug. The Ugly Dachshund. Have y'all watched The Ugly Dachshund? I no. no this, I watched this movie in one of those weird moments when I was like 10 and I decided to be a rebel and stay up till 3 o'clock in the morning. And I happened to have the Disney Channel <laughs> at this time. <laughs> and it's a good, it's a good movie. Uh, something wicked this way comes, and then one of the the towns they built was like a western sort of deal, and they made it specifically for the Zorro TV series. So, oh. yeah. In the fifties, they decided to lease the Golden Oak Ranch, so they leased that, but they ended up purchasing it in nineteen fifty nine because they used it for so much stuff. Uh, it was 700 acres of land <laughs> and on this land, they filmed things like old yeller, which is the saddest movie ever. Mm-hmm. Um, get me. oh gosh, <laughs> get me fired up oh gosh, the parent trap, the Santa Claus, Pearl Harbor, what? princess diaries, uh, independence day. I Parts for- of it were filmed. I forgot that Pearl Harbor was by Disney. Yeah. Yeah. Disney independence Jones. day was filmed. Parts of it were filmed there. Um, and they use it. Now for TV, uh, CSI, some episodes, mm-hmm. Bones, Sons of Anarchy, and <laughs> and like so much more. There's so much more. That was just kind of the highlight of the list. So it's like I have wrote on my notes that this is a far cry from a realty office. I mean, and it really is. The fact that well, they yeah. the fact that they started this company in 23, and by the time that 59 rolled around, they had all of these buildings. They bought a ranch. <laughs> I <Yeah>. mean, <laughs> gosh. <laughs> so that's kind of like the history of the property itself and how they kind of got started. So I made I made some more notes, though. So Pinocchio and Fantasia came out in 1940. And they were complete and total masterpieces, despite the fact that I have never watched Fantasia. I know that it's a masterpiece, though. I know it is. Um, but the costs were so high to make these films that they really kind of put Disney in the hurt because this was 1940 and there was no foreign audience at this time yeah. because we yeah. were in the midst we're, we're of a war. war and depression. So, so um, in 1941, they went ahead and took what very limited budget they had and they produced Dumbo, which actually ended up being the shortest Disney feature film to date Mm -hmm. because it's only like 60 minutes i mean it's like 59 minutes or something like that maybe it's more than an hour but it's not much more than that it's it's like the shortest but it is the shortest disney movie so far look it up (laughs) look it up 
So that was 41. And they did okay with that. Um, but then in 1942, they made Bambi. And Bambi was very expensive. It was very expensive. So they really kind of... At this point, they really almost didn't really recover from that because of the costs. It was an hour and four minutes. An hour and four minutes. I wasn't too far off. Also, Bambi is like... I think Bambi was probably the first Disney movie I ever watched. I think it was me too. Also sad. Yeah. 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 I won't watch it to this day. Yeah, I I I refuse to watch it to this day. (laughs) I used to repeat parts of it when I was a little girl. You should get my mom to tell you that story. I used to mimic... Oh, I'm sure I'll hear it. I used to mimic Thumper a whole lot. I used to say something about Forest Greens. I don't know. Ask my mom. She knows. So, um, I thought this was cool. The State Department... So, like we were saying, this is in the midst of a war, okay? Mm -hmm. So, the State Department specifically had Disney make uh, two movies set in South America <coughs> at this time. So that's why they made Saludos Amigos and the three uh, Caballeros. Hmm. So, yeah, set in South America. Also, they Disney Company made uh, propaganda and military yep. training films yep. during this time. Mm-hmm. So, and... Um, I have wrote on here that it was difficult for Disney to regain footing after the war, and that's because they were trying to put out, you know, Bambi was expensive, Pinocchio and Fantasia were expensive, and Dumbo, even though it wasn't expensive, even still, all of those costs of not having the foreign markets available kind of added up. But they recovered. Uh, In 1950, they released their first completely live-action Disney film. You know what it was? Completely, first completely live-action Disney film. First completely live-action Disney film, yeah. Hang on, let me think. I don't know. Treasure Island. Treasure Island. Yeah, Treasure Island. So, Treasure Island was released. It was an instant success. So, by 1950, they had really gained back their ground. Uh, Disney World opened in Florida in 1971, and then Tokyo Disneyland opened in 1983. So, mm-hmm. now we've branched out even further. In 1988, Disney led the box office. For the first time ever, they led the box office. Um, and that's because of Who Framed Roger Rabbit? Uh, one of my all-time favorite yeah. films. Yeah. You know what's historic about Who Framed Roger Rabbit? I mean, you were talking about this the other day. Yeah. Save Tano's. You know what was kind of historic about that? Um, it was the first time two characters ever appeared side by side in a film. Um, and that would be Mickey Mouse and Bugs Bunny. Oh. Yeah. So you're putting Warner Brothers and Disney together yeah. there. Yeah. Plus hmm. the whole piano scene with... Uh, Daffy Duck and Donald yeah. and all that. So that was the first time that uh, Disney characters and WB characters had ever been on screen together. So and probably the only time. Yeah. yeah. So Who Framed Roger Rabbit, movies like Three Men and a Baby came out then too. Just another one of my classic favorites. <laughs> Pretty Woman. I've not watched Pretty Woman. Sister Act. Yeah. 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 Whoa, that's so, my mom's favorite movie. Yeah, all of this came out <laughs> at the same time. Disney just just totally killed the box office in 88. And then Disneyland Paris opened in 1992. So they're everywhere. Disney's the everywhere. 92. Oh, that makes me feel old. <laughs> in 
1994, Disney released one of the highest grossing films of all time. Guess. In 1994. 1994. Toy Story. Nope. No, Toy Story came out later than that. Lion King. Lion King. Uh, My favorite. That's my, my absolute favorite movie probably of all time. Yeah. I used to pretend like I was a lion. Thanks to that movie. How old was I when that came out? I was like six or seven. But yeah, I love that movie. By 1996, there were 450 Disney stores worldwide. By the time that 1999 rolled around, there were 725. I don't know how many there are now. but A lot. There's a lot. (laughs) A lot. In 1996, Disney bought Capital Cities slash ABC. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was a $19 billion deal. The second largest deal in U.S. history. $19 wow. billion. Dollars. In 2009, they acquired... That's when they acquired Marvel. Marvel. Mm-hmm. Yep. They acquired Marvel. And in 2012, they acquired Lucasfilm. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's important. Lucasfilm. Yeah. <laughs> So, which is now probably the highest grossing deal of all time now, eh? yeah, because that was like in the billions, yeah, yeah it was crazy, it was eight point some billion dollars. Well, ABC uh-huh. was 19 billion dollars, yeah. Oh, okay. Well, if the if the uh, Fox deal goes through, then that will be the highest grossing one, because right. I think right now it stands at 20, 21 billion, something like that. I don't, I don't think they'll let it go through. I think, I think, I think that it'll end up falling through i think that's i think a, antitrust will step in well i don't even think that i think comcast will end up picking it up yeah. like it'll end up going into full-on bidding war yeah disney world employees disney world alone okay one park disney world alone employs sixty-two thousand people Jeez. what it's the largest single site employer in the country wow yeah Thanks for the jobs, Disney. That's, I mean, 62,000 people. Globally, they have 150 million visitors at all the parks wow. annually. And as of May 2017, Disney Company was worth $178 billion. So, also, there are at least 146 movies attributed to Walt Disney. Hmm. So, and I was just counting uh, Star Wars and. I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. This is okay. I wonder I how much Walt Disney's frozen head is worth. Mm. Lots. <laughs> <laughs> so, fun facts. Are you ready for fun facts? Fun facts. Interesting facts. Dopey from Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs was supposed to have a lot of dialogue, but they couldn't find a suitable voice actor. So they just said, never mind, we'll just make him be silent. Huh. Yep. Snow White was the very first movie ever to release a soundtrack. Huh. Awesome. Mm-hmm. We talked about that Bugs Bunny was the first on the postage stamp. Oh, this one's cool. So, Monsters, Monsters Inc. I love Monsters Inc. Mm-hmm. So, Big Blue Monster, Sully. Yeah. Sully from Monsters Inc. has more than 2.3 million individually a- animated hairs. Oh, yeah. Each frame he was in took 11 to 12 hours to render. Each frame. Mm-hmm. That's why that movie is one of the best Disney <laughs> Pixar movies ever. 
And speaking of a lot of time, it took a team of five animators over two years to create the two and a half minute wildebeest stampede scene in The Lion King. Wow. Two years. And this one, this one, okay, this one blows my mind. There are 6,469,952 spots in 101 Dalmatians. 72 are on Pongo, 68 are on Perdita, and the rest are the puppies. Each puppy has 32 spots precisely. I knew the 32 spots. Yeah. That blows my mind. <laughs> there's, there's something else, too, with Dumbo. Because, like, they brought in, a, like, a real live elephant to, like, sculpt Dumbo. Like, use the animation or something as a, you know, as a piece, you know. And it, it took them, like, so many hundreds of hours, too, throughout, the, throughout years to be able to... Because the elephants kept growing up. And they had to keep bringing in baby elephants and stuff before they oh. before they could finish it. You said that, and the only thing that I could imagine was them launching a baby elephant like off, like out of a slingshot to model it flying. Yeah, now that may have been something I just thought up because I could have swore I've read something about that. It's like they they brought it in to model Dumbo or something after and. Kind of like puppies and like the 101 Dalmatian live action film. It took them forever to film that film because yeah. every time every puppy that they had took them so long to film the film that <laughs> they kept growing up. So let's talk about this Disney Warner Brothers feud because it, it pretty much goes all the way back to the beginning. What Before we do that, what was that movie mean you watched? I can't remember what it is, but it was like this little boy. It was a live action Disney film. And this little boy was interested in Disney Studios. And he goes to Disney Studios. And this was back in like the 60s. So Disney only had a few studios open. And he went to each one of the studios. And all throughout this whole entire movie, they were showing him that they was creating this one film. And come to find out, it was before Peter Pan. Like they was making the Peter Pan film. Oh, Finding Neverland. Finding Neverland, yes. Finding Neverland. No, yeah. not finding no, Never- no, 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 not no, finding no. Neverland. I don't know. I forgot something. The boy and the dragon, or the boy and his dragon, or something like that. Because at the end of the movie, uh, Walt Disney actually comes out and walks him through the rest of it. I have no idea. Oh man, that if movie you, was so awesome. Yeah, if you guys know, tell us in the comments because I have no idea. Oh man, I'm gonna look it up right now. <laughs> so this. This feud essentially goes all the way back to um, the inception of both companies. So um, Disney started doing animation first and had a lot of success. Mickey Mouse came out in, you know, 1928, and they had major success with him um, and the whole Silly Symphonies sort of deal. So in the in the beginning of the market, really Disney was Disney was the they had their the lead, the leading sort of yeah they they were just uh, the big deal they they yeah. kind of led in this with, field with Steamboat Willie and and Pluto and and uh, and really um, Warner Brothers kind of saw the success of that and so that's why they decided to kind of start their own animation department in the first place and so they started their Merry Melodies sort of deal. And in the long run of it all, the Merry Melodies became more popular than Disney. Mm-hmm. And do you know why? 
violence. Yeah. Violence. <laughs> yeah, I mean, pretty much. Violent. I mean, pretty much. It's probably why I'm the twisted human being that I am today. Yeah. <laughs> Let me see. Uh, this article that I've got refers to it as rough and tumble, satiric sort of style. But I mean, it really is, you know. What was that? How, how did that one one place that I read it? They were they were much edgier. If you look at all the old Looney Tune cartoons, they were hyper violent. You know, you've got the Road Runner and Wally Coyote and mm-hmm. Wally Coyote. <laughs> Their take no prisoner style of anarchy was marked contrast from yeah. Disney. <laughs> I mean, it's to- it is totally different. Mm-hmm. Disney was kind of wholesome and family oriented which there are articles out there that argue that really they're kind of not they are darker in a way but um then you you know you know wally coyote uh being crushed underneath of a boulder yeah Yeah. and (laughs) and papi le pew which was basically uh he was like a i mean essentially a rapist yeah yeah. Sorry for Papi Le Pew fans, but yeah. that's what, when you bowl. And don't even get started about Speedy Gonzalez. So. Oh, no. Yeah, I mean, extremely non-politically correct. Extremely racist. They um, <clears throat> also used occasional adult humor, you know, uh-huh. innuendo, that sort of deal. Yeah. So it was completely different than Disney, and it appealed to people. Um. It says, although some of the early Mickey Mouse cartoons had the same sort of wild energy the Looney Tunes had, Disney soon settled into a more innocent, wholesome style. Their characters were usually more sympathetic and were usually the victims of circumstance. What people liked about Bugs Bunny was that he was not sweet and sympathetic. He was a bad boy. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. (laughs) He was a bad rabbit. (laughs) So, I mean, you know... With Warner Brothers, you had Wally Coyote getting repeatedly crushed by boulders and falling off cliffs, and you had shotguns blowing up in Elmer Fudd's face, and that sort of deal. So and we had pooty tits. <laughs> <laughs> and, and Tom and Jerry was my favorite. You know, Spike always would whip the dog piss out of Tom. Mm-hmm. So Warner Brothers, they their Merry Melodies um, cartoons would show before movies. They became extremely popular. And if you had asked anybody back in that day, or even now, if they preferred Bugs Bunny or Mickey Mouse, a lot of most people just about would say I'm going to hands down Bunny. say Bugs Bunny. I'm going to hands say Bugs Bunny. Like the Tasmanian Devil is my icon. I mean, I love Taz. Like Tex Avery's my hero. And then <laughs> once. Once television came into to be a factor, um, and they stopped showing cinematic shorts, Warner Brothers decided to take those Looney Tunes series and reintroduce them to a new generation of kids. So they started running them again as weekly animated TV shows. So, and that's, you know, I grew up watching yeah, Looney Tune mm-hmm. cartoons. We're the last so, generation, I think, they said to actually... See, uncut probably Looney Tunes. Yeah. So at this, like Boomerang's oh, not on like yeah, regular not, cable yeah, anymore. No. It's not yeah, there anymore. It's not. And the only time that like Cartoon Network will show them old Looney Tunes is like you know when I get up at like three or four yeah. in the morning to go yeah. to work. Uh, they're on. But so we started off with Disney having the upper hand, and Warner Brothers wanted to take that away from them, and they really kind of did, and, and they did. did. Mm-hmm. And so then you fast forward, Disney goes through this awful slump of an animation because they're so focused on making 
you know, live action movies. Live action movies. And then 1989 rolls around, and that's when The Little Mermaid comes into theaters. Mm -hmm. But Warner Brothers is still uh, on top, and you know why? DC Comics. We're going to get to that. We're going to get to that. So, 1989, Little Mermaid comes around. Uh, The Looney Tunes conquered a new medium in the 60s and 70s, whereas Mickey, Donald, Goofy, and the others were relegated to corporate symbols. Mm. And that's really kind of the truth. Um, At the end of the day, Warner Brothers and the Looney Tunes definitely were the winners of that first round of this feud. Now you come to what you just said, kind of the era of superheroes yep. and, uh, and the feud Warner, Warner is rekindled yep. and Disney pimp slapping Warner Brothers well <laughs> they, Warner Brothers had it for the first part of the decade 90s you know yeah. Batman and, and what killed mm-hmm. that was terrible sequels yeah, yeah. terrible yeah. sequels like Superman 4, The Quest for Peace. Yeah. George Clooney, Batnipples. Batman and Robin. Yeah, Batman and <laughs> yeah. Robin. Batman like, and it Robin. Actually atone, it actually accredits Batman and Robin yeah. for the destruction yeah. of, of, of Warner I remember Brothers. watching that when I, like, I was young when that came out. Oh, it was terrible. And I watched it and I was like, what is this? Yeah. <laughs> and, and you know, like, now as, as an adult... It's like, uh, why is Terminator Mr. Freeze? Yeah. Because, because now Take I, two of these and call me in the morning. Oh, my God. He's Mr. Stone. He's Mr. Hacks. That's not oh. how the works go, but that's... No, it's close enough. That's close enough. <laughs> but uh, even as an adult, like, you know, I was young when these movies come out, and I never really had a Batman collection like I do now. They had the origin stories, and they had these characters right. It was just piss poor directing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So, bad sequels, that kind of killed that for Warner Brothers for a while. Uh, Fox and Sony both kind of tried to come in and fill that gap, but they Mm. they just couldn't really do it. And then you have Disney, and they acquire the MCU. So, they get the Marvel comic universe, and... I mean, the rest is kind of history from that. Mm -hmm. And And then Warner Brothers fires back. With the uh, Dark Knight trilogy, and then Justice League, and see that was see, that that was another thing too that that some some things that I've read is that you know Disney will always have that upper hand with the MCU because like their cartoons mm-hmm. up until the Infinity War. Yeah, I'm not gonna say they were light and fluffy, but they were happenstance. Like every one of their character, you know, every one of the characters in MCU was yeah happenstance. Yeah, but like whereas. The DC universe is dark and green. It is extremely yeah. dark. And, and people kind of... It's its so funny because people kind of take offense to it. And you... it was It's okay for Bugs Bunny to, like, blow someone up. But yeah. then if you show this... The article even... This article even says, When Superman breaks Zod's neck, fans howl in protest. Yeah, but protest. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, I remember when that happened. I remember the backlash behind it. Well, I mean, even people today are like, oh, God, that's a terrible movie because he broke Zod's neck. Well, and then you have Suicide Squad, but these people are supposed to be bad, and so yeah. it's okay. Yeah, so it's you okay, know? yeah. But it's just Superman, people just didn't think it should be that dark. But all DC comics have that sort of all DC, darkness. Yeah, then it just goes back to the thing about picking up a comic book. <laughs> yeah, true. And you would realize this. <laughs> 
This, I think this brings up such a good point. It says, there's another aspect of WB's problem that should be addressed. Some would argue that the, that WB are in too much of a hurry to catch up to Marvel slash Disney's 10-year run of success. Yeah. Which is why Batman versus Superman Dawn of Justice was so cluttered and unfocused. They were trying to cram 10 years worth of content yeah. into one film. Yeah. So with Marvel, I mean, they built this slow story over... Ten this years, over, over ten decade, years yeah. of all these movies coming out that in some way interconnect, yeah. and Warner Brothers didn't do that, but mm-hmm. they wanted to have the same sort of epic story, but trying to cram it all into two and epic, a half hours. That's me. <laughs> I mean, and I'm not saying that it's a that it's a bad movie. I liked it too, yeah. but and, um, I, mean, I, I can kind of understand that point though of it just being too much instead of a slow build. So yeah. it's like I like Justice League, but it's no Avengers. Yeah, which could yeah yeah. But though there again though, if Warner Brothers had taken their time and built it over ten years, yeah, we'd be saying that mm-hmm. the Justice League was one of the greatest movies of all time. Yeah, of course I don't know how you would have fit the Infinity Wars and the Justice League in one year. <laughs> so interesting. I mean, so really the the two have been at. In a feud yeah. since the 30s they when all them. of this started. And they will mm-hmm. be until Disney, and they will be. until Disney decides to finish them off by acquiring them. <laughs> yeah. It'll probably happen eventually. Finish them happen. off by buying yeah. them. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Or so. we'll, you know, or will government step in at that point? I think the government will step in at that point. Probably. I think the government's trying to step in right now and stop them. Because I think Disney, like you said, Disney acquired ABC. And I know they've acquired... Disney owns like... So much. I know they mm-hmm. own all the ESPNs. They do. TV. Yeah. They own so much. Like, I didn't realize how much Disney owns until I started researching. But it's insane. All that all that they own. And that's why I focused so much on how they started. Because it, it just blows my mind that, you know, they were in this little shop. That they yeah. pay $10 a month for in rent out yeah. of a realty office. Okay. And now they're this multi-billion-dollar company. Mm-hmm. It's just crazy. Mm-hmm. So yeah, and I can't say that I'm mad that they acquired Star Wars since I've sunk probably what about five hundred dollars in Disney toys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when we go Disney on toys. vacation and our nieces are like, "Ooh, let's go to the Disney store," Josh is like, "Yeah, let's go to the they Disney turn, store." They, they turn to Uncle Josh. They don't turn to Mom and Aunt Tessa. <laughs> Uncle Josh, will you take us to the Disney store? Oh, yes, I did find a Snoke at a good price, though. <laughs> yeah, we had our our spare bedroom. If you could see, it's like Kylo Ren everywhere. <laughs> Which I'm not mad about. I'm with not few, mad about it. With a few Darth Vader stuff. I'm yeah. not mad about it at like all. I have a four foot tall Darth Vader and like yeah. a three foot tall Kylo Ren. Yeah. <laughs> we had lightsabers in our wedding. I have a custom lightsaber. I need to show you guys oh, that Oh, that's thing. fab. Yeah, that's we've awesome. never seen that. Yeah. So That's fab. Yay, Star Wars. Star Wars makes me happy. Yeah. What? But, you know, WB does have my favorite of all time, so... Yeah, Bugs Bunny. <laughs> Bugs Bunny. Yeah, no, that would be Harry Potter. It does. And I'm very glad that they decided to put in that section of the theme park. And and I cried like a baby. <laughs> I walked into Hogsmeade and I cried like a baby. 
And I don't think Disney will be able to buy that from them. No. Probably not. Probably not. Well, we said that about Star Wars, too. Yeah, we did. That's true. Yeah. I think looking back now, the Harry Potter series is probably something that Disney don't need to acquire. Just Mm -hmm. saying. I mean... Nobody owns Harry Potter. It belongs to all of us. (laughs) Harry's a free elf. (laughs) Harry's a free elf. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, gosh. Disney gave Harry a sock. So... (laughs) So, Trey Wilson, we hope that that kind of covers what you wanted us to talk about. This is a long episode. It is. I mean, but like... It's interesting, so... It's interesting stuff, so... Yeah, so... And, I, and we encourage you to do your own research. Like we said before, there is a ton of stuff about these two companies. So, uh, Trey Wilson, hope that answers your question. Thank you for submitting it. And to everybody else, if you uh, have a particular topic that you want us to talk about, then send us a message or leave us a comment. All that good stuff. Uh-huh. Uh, you can, uh, you can actually email us at, uh, historybyidiots.com, uh, at gmail.com, or, uh, you can find us on social media. We are on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. The Twitter. <laughs> the Twitter. <laughs> We're on the Twitter. Uh, our handles there are at History by Idiots for all three of those. Yeah. Uh, and you can listen to us on Google Play, iTunes, or um, you can listen to us directly on the website, which is historybyidiots.buzzsprout.com. Sweet. But not on Spotify. But not on Spotify. Yeah, we're still not on Spotify. I need. I haven't actually checked Spotify in a couple of days. I should do that. Cool. I think it's so randomly cool that you can tell Alexa to play the podcast History Told by Idiots. And she does. It makes me so excited. It does. It makes me excited. (laughs) So. All right. This is History Told by Idiots. Love history. Love your libraries. And love yourself. Good night. That's all, folks. (laughs) 